This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Do you have a point of sale system you can trust or is it <clears throat> a real POS? You need Shopify for retail. From accepting payments to managing inventory, Shopify POS has everything you need to sell in person. Go to shopify.com slash system, all lowercase, to take your retail business to the next level today. That's shopify.com slash system. I'm San Francisco Chronicle columnist Heather Knight, and you're listening to Fifth in Mission. In late May, there were no reported cases of COVID-19 at San Quentin State Prison, and now there are hundreds. What prompted this sudden disaster? Why are Governor Gavin Newsom and the state prison system refusing to release more inmates to curb the spread? Chronicle reporters Megan Cassidy and Jason Fagoni have been digging into the subject and are joining me today to explain why all Californians should care deeply about virus outbreaks in our prisons. Megan Cassidy and Jason Fagoni, welcome to the podcast. Thanks for having us. Yeah, thanks, Heather. So you've been doing some incredible work together looking at San Quentin State Prison in Marin County, um, which has become the site of an alarming COVID-19 outbreak. The prison had no confirmed cases of the coronavirus just a few weeks ago, and that picture has totally changed. There uh, among the 3,600 inmates are several hundred confirmed cases, as well as some among the staff. Can you explain how that happened so quickly? Yeah, yeah. So this started with a deadly outbreak at the California Institution for Men, uh, which is a prison in Chino. Um, that was the site of the largest or one of the largest and by far the deadliest prison outbreaks in the state. Um, and the intent here was to identify some people who, ha- who had not uh, been infected yet and were medically vulnerable prisoners and get them out to prisons that had not yet had any outbreaks. And and there were several across the state that just had zero. Um, So at the end of May, the prison's healthcare provider came up with a list of about 700 names, uh, 691 to be exact, who were, who qualified for the transfers. And in this first round, um, these men, uh, there were 121 men bused to San Quentin and 66 transferred to Corcoran. Um, So, but what we found out is that this was just, an incredibly rushed and I have to say reckless um, uh, operation. Um, what we found is that the transfer men weren't tested for weeks um, prior to the transfer, sometimes up to a month uh, before they were placed on buses together, along with a handful of correctional officers and the bus drivers, uh, where they spent hours intermingling in these close quarters. And so then even by the time they got to San Quentin and to Corcoran, several were feeling sick and a handful tested positive just immediately upon arrival. Wow. That seems so contrary to what um, <laughs> would be the smart way to handle the outbreak at Chino. Right. Well, you, even for even for a coronavirus layman like myself, it seems like it's just common sense that you would want to test somebody right before you you put them with with other people. But that that did not happen. Wow. And so now these guys are at San Quentin. And Jason, can you describe why the virus is um, being transmitted so easily there between cells? You would maybe think that there would be some social distancing or it wouldn't rip through the prison as quickly as it is. But can you kind of paint a picture yeah. of why that's not the case? Well, it's really hard to socially distance in a prison. That's that's kind of the fundamental problem. You know, prisons are almost perfectly designed to accelerate the spread of a virus like SARS-CoV-2, right? They're, they're very much like nur- nursing homes. Uh, you have a lot of people in doors, living together in a small space. 
And at San Quentin, it's, it's worse because it's overcrowded even for a prison. It's at 115% of its design capacity. And it's also the oldest prison in the state. So most of the cells at San Quentin are these old-fashioned cells with uh, just bars instead of solid doors. And so in most of the prison, there's no barrier to stop the spread of droplets from becoming airborne and traveling. And when you combine these factors, the, uh, the aging architecture of San Quentin and the inherent overcrowding, when you combine that with uh, what Megan was talking about, this mismanagement, this kind of in inexplicable decision to bring infected and essentially untested prisoners from uh, the site of an outbreak into San Quentin and expose them to you know, the, uh, the healthy population there, when you combine all of that together, you have a recipe for a disaster and the virus is just going to have its way. And uh, once all of that happens, there's very little that staff can do to get control of it. Right. And Megan, they do have to get control of it in some way. So what is the state prison system saying in response to your stories and, and what are they going to do about this outbreak? Yeah. So, I mean, I have to start off by saying like there, there is a big difference in what they say that they're doing and what's actually happening. Um, We've, we've received a lot of misleading uh, answers to our questions um, and, uh, you know, what some would say were outright falsehoods. Um, initially, the prison officials said that the Chino transfers were being quarantined, not mixed with the general San Quentin population. Uh, we found that that was not the case, that they were placed in the same unit, just in higher tiers where droplets in the air could mix, fall into the lower tiers, like what Jason was saying. Um, and so... That, that aside, we are getting a lot of press release type response to, uh, to this to our questions, um, both for San Quentin and for other sites. But uh, what prison officials are saying is um, they are attempting to reduce the density in dorms, moving some people into vacant spaces. Uh, they've accelerated testing for prisoners and staffers. And system wide, the prisons last week announced that they were that they would have people who have 180 days less to serve. Uh, would be released through community supervision. Um, I should note, though, that any prison advocate you talk to will say that this isn't enough. Um, it doesn't take into account the thousands of older, medically medically vulnerable prisoners who are statistically at a very low risk to reoffend. They've already served their minimum mandatory sentences, and uh, they have a high risk to have some serious complications from infection. And there's no particular plan to deal with that population. No, not not that we've heard so far. Um, you know, we, we've heard a lot of uh, obviously advocates and lawmakers calling from this, but it's it's been pretty radio silent, except for this uh, misguided attempt to transfer them to uh, to other prisons. I'll be back for more with Megan Cassidy and Jason Fagoni. This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Do you have a point of sale system you can trust, or is it? <clears throat> a real POS. You need Shopify for retail. From accepting payments to managing inventory, Shopify POS has everything you need to sell in person. Go to shopify.com system, all lowercase, to take your retail business to the next level today. That's shopify.com system. I'm Heather Knight, and I'm back with Chronicle reporters Megan Cassidy and Jason Fagoni. And Jason, advocates for prison reform and attorneys for prisoners have been calling on Governor Gavin Newsom to release tens of thousands of inmates during the COVID-19 pandemic, but he hasn't done so. What are his hesitations and what are you hearing from Sacramento? Yeah, the honest answer is that I don't know. 
uh, Newsom's office won't answer questions about this. Uh, as, as far as I know, he has not said a peep about the outbreak at San Quentin. They, they, when we ask, they steer the questions to the corrections department. But uh, Newsom is the guy who has authority over the state prison system, right? He, he calls the shots. And for the last three months now, um, he's shown very little interest, I think, in, in taking the kinds of bold uh, public health actions that experts say are really needed to get control of these outbreaks. And in fact, um, he's gone to federal court to, in essence, preserve the status quo. So attorneys for prisoners have, have warned for months that all of this would happen. Um, this was completely predictable, right? They said in March that the prison system was overcrowded. It is. Uh, they said the state wasn't taking um, the COVID-19 uh, pandemic seriously and, and wasn't preparing properly. And they said that without emergency releases of prisoners, large numbers of prisoners, that people inside these prisons would get sick and die. Um, but Newsom and his attorneys, state attorneys, you know, resisted making large releases. They said that they could get the situation under control. And it's clear now that they have failed. Their policies have failed. They have simply not been able to control these outbreaks. Um, but despite that failure, there's no signal from Newsom that much of anything is going to change. And I think that this is really poorly understood, this dynamic in the Bay Area and across the country. People really don't understand how little Gavin Newsom is doing about this because he, he has this, I think, reputation as a progressive Democrat, as kind of a liberal hero. Um, so, so it almost doesn't compute that Newsom is presiding over uh, an overcrowded prison system with these repeated large outbreaks. And that's what, what's happening. And honestly, it's not just Newsom who's been silent on this. There's been very little interest so far, very little attention paid to this issue by many Bay Area Democrats. Um, the only one who seems to be on top of it is this guy, this assembly member for Marin County, Mark Levine, who has been pushing the state and has been pushing Newsom for months to develop a real plan. And he says he has been uh, repeatedly rebuffed. Wow. And Megan, you had a really compelling um, story about a federal judge who heard this issue. Um, I believe you watched the um, the case virtually, right? And you saw him w wipe away tears um, and appear to get very emotional as he was hearing um, the stories about these San Quentin inmates. And he said that they should be released um, to protect the, their health and safety, but that he didn't have the authority to order that. What was it like for you to see a judge get so emotional over this issue? We usually just picture judges as being so, you know, controlled and showing no emotion at all. Right. They, they are. Um, it, it was very jarring. And, you know, it, it, it made me emotional, too, I guess, just, just seeing that from somebody who's typically the, the most measured person in the room. Um, you know, in, in my eight years of, of crime reporting in both state and federal courts, uh, this is the first time I've ever seen that happen. You know, you, you see judges get angry, um, but I, I've <laughs> yeah. never seen somebody uh, just show this type of raw emotion that he did. Um, and so, I, you know, I think it just shows not only how personally invested he is, but just how powerless he feels. He, a federal judge, how, how powerless he feels in this situation because he does not feel that he has the power to order uh, widespread releases. That is is debated. Some of the, the plaintiff's attorneys think that he's wrong. Um, but as far as the way that Judge Tiger feels, uh, he does not think that he has the power. All he can do uh, is strongly urge them to um, either 
go forward with more releases or he suggested uh, a type of furlough. So kind of a break from prison um, or or a, uh, a house arrest type of program. Mm-hmm. But no word yet on whether that those would move forward. No word yet. No, we actually uh, we uh, asked the prison officials yesterday about that and we have not heard back. OK. And Jason, how widespread is this problem um, around prisons in California in terms of inmates contracting the coronavirus? Yes. So far, there have been large outbreaks at a number of state prisons, mostly in Southern California and in uh, remote parts of the Central Valley. So, for instance, Chuckawalla Valley State Prison in Riverside County. It's one of the biggest coronavirus outbreaks in the entire country. Almost a thousand prisoners infected. Uh, that's, that's nearly half of the entire inmate population at Chuckawalla that's, that's been infected. And there have been other large virus clusters at California state prisons in Los Angeles County, in San Bernardino County, and Kings County. And it's not just uh, uh, incarcerated people who are getting infected, by the way. It's staff, too. It's corrections officers and other staff who work at these prisons every day. 650 staff uh, at California state prisons have been infected so far. And tragically, people have died. There have been 19 prisoner deaths at four different prisons across the state. And uh, two employees have died as well. And of course, those employees are going home to their families at night, um, you know, further risking the spread of the virus among the general population, you would imagine. Right. Yeah. I mean, I think people normally have have a view of a prison, a picture of a prison as a place that is completely closed off from the world. But it, but these prisons are not. They're permeable because people are going in and out every day. Uh, employees and they're bringing, you know, if they get infected, then there's danger that they bring it back to their to their families, to their kids. And I saw, um, I know few Bay Area Democrats have said much about this at all, but today um, State Senator Scott Wiener did um, release a statement saying that a committee hearing will take place July 1st to understand what happened at San Quentin. He called the outbreak tragic, predictable, and unacceptable. Do you think calls for change will become too loud for the prison system and governor to ignore? I'll um, throw this out to both of you. Maybe, Megan, you can jump in first. Yeah, you know, it, it's tough to say. I mean, like like Jason touched on earlier, it's it's been kind of perplexing. Um, but you know, some political insiders have have posited that you know in in you know in a deep blue state like California, it would seem like a no brainer. But if you are someone like Governor Newsom, who may have higher political ambitions, he may be thinking that about how these actions could be seen in the future. Um, if it's a different you know national political climate you know, perhaps he's thinking that this could come back to haunt him if he's fighting to win the votes of uh, more moderates. Mm -hmm. Like if something bad were to happen with one of these inmates who's released. Exactly. Even though, you know, it's it's statistically very unlikely um, for uh, obviously the older population uh, you you see on TV news, especially all all the time. Um, This person was released uh, from a uh, COVID-19 um, type of program and this person reoffended. So if, if you're somebody with some higher political ambitions, you may be thinking about that. And Jason, what are your thoughts on that issue? Yeah, I, I agree with Megan. I think it's confusing. The stasis, the lack of action is, is kind of confusing. I mean, I mean, look, for years now, people who study the U.S. justice system have been warning that there are serious structural problems with the way we police in America, right? With the way we incarcerate people, the number of people we incarcerate. Um, and the pandemic, in a lot of ways, has revealed how weak our system makes us, how unsafe it makes us. Um, but despite these, these outbreaks... You know, the alarm has been going off for months, but it really feels like 
there's nobody coming. And and I have to say, on a personal level, reporting this story, and Megan may agree with me, you know, talking to people, doing interviews, uh, talking to folks who are inside, who are incarcerated, talking to their loved ones, talking to staff, talking to the loved ones of staff, it, it is heartbreaking. Um, it is really hard to do these interviews because people are people are panicked. They are scared. Uh, they're scared for their own lives. They're scared for the lives of people that they love, um, you know, husbands, wives, sons and daughters, and they're not being told a lot of information and, and they don't know what to do. Um, and, and it's, it's just very difficult to, it's very difficult to do these interviews. It's very difficult because people have very few options. They, they don't hold the cards. They don't have the power. It's, it's people like Newsom and other elected officials who have the power. And, and, and I want to say, you know, like beyond the human aspect of this, beyond just the idea that, that people in prison are still humans and deserve fair and decent treatment. Be- beyond that, there's just this really raw and self-interested reason that anyone listening to this podcast should care about these prison outbreaks. Like, why should you care, right? Why should you care that there are hundreds of people in San Quentin prison who are infected? The reason you should care is that if we can't control these prison outbreaks, then we're never going to be able to get control of the virus in California, period, because there will just be these reservoirs, the virus. It'll be like if you let a wildfire burn, right? And an ember is going to be picked up by the wind and carried to a new place, and it's going to start a new fire. We can't reopen the state effectively and safely um, without getting a handle on these prison outbreaks. Because, like I said, prisons are permeable. People go in, people go out. Uh, people who get sick inside end up treated in outside hospitals in the community. Workers go in and out, take the virus to their families. And in countries that have that have won the battle against COVID-19, that have successfully controlled the virus, there are just not prisons that have hundreds of people who are infected and sick. New Zealand, South Korea, Iceland, you cannot find a place like San Quentin Prison or Chuckawalla Valley Prison in, in those countries. So if we want to get back to normal life, we have to alleviate this problem, right? And, and it's the right thing to do because there are a lot of people right now who are scared and are suffering inside these prisons, and it doesn't need to be that way. Well, that's very well said, and I think you both have made a very compelling point. So hopefully the powers that be are reading your stories and listening to your words here today. Thank you so much for joining me. I really appreciate it. Thank you. Thanks for having us. Thanks to Megan Cassidy and Jason Fagoni for joining me today, to King Kaufman for producing this episode, and to you for listening.